Welcome to the Golf Exposed Podcast. It is non-stop trash stuff. I'm supposed to be pros here. I would be barefooted, drunk, playing golf. Golf Exposed Podcast. But it wasn't talked about like it is now. We got our kicked. Where we give you the good, the bad, and the truth about golf business, betting, and stories. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Golf Exposed Podcast. My name is Jordan Michael Colson, joined by JB23, number 23 on Golf Inc.'s most powerful people in golf, John Brown, President, CEO, Brown Golf Management, and Golf Back Solutions. John, welcome back to the program. Great to be here. And, you know, I've been thinking, I think the show's been going great. I love it. I know people love it, but uh, I think we need a little bit of a ratings boost. So I'm just going to go ahead and go full skip Bayless, just disagree with everything you say and just say, I think that sounds like an excuse, <laughs> no matter what you say. How does that guy make $8 million a year? He's the most annoying no, he guy. Does on- not. Yes, he oh, does. My God. Yeah. And, and then in retaliation, you just say, skip, and we'll be fine. <laughs> okay. um, if, if, if we could drop him, that'd be great. He's my least favorite. <laughs> Shannon should get $8 million a year for listening to him. Absolutely. But anyway, so we have a lot to talk about today. We've been doing the show about 15 episodes in now. I think we're finally starting to get our footing under us, and we know what the show is. We like to talk about golf in mainstream culture. We like to talk about golf business. A little bit of golf betting sprinkled in there today. No one is more top of mind than Tiger Woods and his son. But, John, 15 episodes in, I think we're, we're going to be delivering this on a monthly basis now. I think that's the perfect timing for us. You know, we, we can get some great content out there once a month and uh, continue this show. It's a lot of fun to do it. I enjoy talking about the business components. I enjoy talking about the pop culture and the entertainment. And we're going to deliver Golf Exposed once a month. Uh, we're going to stay consistent, and we're going to keep this show moving forward. And a perfect thing to talk about today is – Tiger Woods, anytime his name comes up in the annals of golf history, people are going to listen. And if we can take advantage of that, we're going to. And uh, Tiger Woods makes his triumphant return far ahead of schedule, far ahead of what anybody anticipated was possible. And Tiger's going to be playing alongside his son, Charlie, in the PNC Championship teeing off this weekend. John, what can we expect from Tiger from a performance standpoint? Is he looking to compete? I mean, he's a competitor. He's always looking to compete. But is he out there to compete to try to win, or is he? Is this more of let's share a heartfelt moment for the holiday season with my kid? I, I think it's the latter, without a doubt, for him, especially coming off that injury. Expectations for Tiger are always going to be extremely high, but you know he'll keep it around par, maybe a couple under if he gets things going okay, and he'll keep it together. But this is really about the experience with Charlie for Tiger. There's a phenomenal video going around social media showing the mannerisms of Tiger and Charlie at last year's event, everything from how they scratch their nose to how they putt to how they walk, you know, to how they address uh, the golf ball and wiggle their driver. I mean, it's really a cool video, and Charlie is 11 years old last year, 12 years old this year year and has a great looking future in the game of golf and a great swing and it's exciting to see the two of them now as i alluded to earlier we all know that the industry as a whole and viewership for the casual fan saw a massive spike in ratings viewership it brought in fans who probably never watched a golf tournament before anytime tiger especially on you know championship sunday wear the red nike shirt is should tiger prepare charlie for whether fair or not unrealistic expectations to succeed i think he'll be successful however when i say that i'm talking about in terms of media attention um scrutiny and just things of that nature tiger has been pretty bulletproof with you know some of the mistakes he's made and he's still you know somebody that we all very much pay attention to 
and he's obviously made some mistakes as it relates to some personal decisions in his life. But when it comes to how I see him parent his children, how he talks about his kids, you know, even Elon, his ex-wife, it seems like they've got a really good foundational way that they parent their children. So I think they'll be able to protect Charlie from, you know, all those, you know, super expectations, which will come just because of who his dad is. But I also think, heck, I mean, at 11 years old, that swing, maybe the expectations make sense. I mean, I think he's got a, a bright future ahead of him. So th- this is a question a little bit off the cuff. What do you think it is about Tiger and even like a Michael Jordan? Because I put them in the same sentence as far as prominence and just overall accomplishment. What do you think it is about those two individuals that are- make them bulletproof? You got Tom Brady. He deflated footballs. Maybe, maybe he didn't. A lot of people don't like him. You got other athletes like LeBron, who's very polarizing. I mean, in his spare time, he builds colleges for kids. We know about Michael Jordan's gambling and the last dance, and that seemed to amplify his legacy. Tiger's done some things. We're not here to judge him. But what do you think it is about Michael Jordan and Tiger specifically that makes them so bulletproof? Is it just because of the litany of uh, achievements that they uh, accomplished? Well, one, Tiger's done a lot. He's given a lot back in a lot of different ways uh, to the first tee and, and, and things like that, which, you know, there's a lot of things he's done as an athlete that I think goes far above what other athletes have given back. LeBron gives back a lot, obviously. And Michael Jordan, you know, Michael Jordan was just, you know, he was charismatic and he was the best. And that's the same with Tiger. He was, he's charismatic and he was the absolute best. I mean, in my lifetime, I've never gone into watching a major and and thought, I'll take him over the field. And we did that with Tiger for 10 years, you know, every single major for 10 years. And that's how good he was. I mean, a level of excellence in that 10 year window that, you know, hasn't been matched by anybody, including Jack Nicholas. He was just the best. He was phenomenal. And I think because of that, we're always going to pay attention to Tiger Woods. What's the name of the college that you work with in Maryland? University of Maryland, Eastern Shore. So do you think it's fair to say that a lot of those people that are that go to that attend that school, do you think a lot of them are interested in golf because of Tiger Woods? I think Tiger Woods pushed golf into more of a a popular sport, a you know, something that was cool, fashionable, uh, which definitely drove the amount of players in the game without a doubt. It drove athletes. I mean, if if you see, you know, a, a, a high school senior who's going to go to a school that is a Division One college to play golf, they're athletes. I mean, they are flat out athletes. You know, they're in shape and they can do things that the normal person can't do. And Tiger definitely drove that. So, can you think of any other father son tandems that have? Not to this degree. Tiger Woods is who he is. But are there any in the annals of golf history that succeeded on some kind of mainstream level or that led to prominence in some other way that you can think of? Well, I think John Brown Sr. broke 80 and John Brown Jr. (laughs) broke it. No, just kidding. Uh, Probably Robert uh, or Bob Duvall and David Duvall is kind of the only one that I can really think of off the top of mind. David Duvall you know, formerly ranked number one player in the world, and his dad won a champions event and was a was a good player. And, uh, you know, I could think of them. I think there was a couple Vardens back in the 1800s that won the British Open father-son tandem. But obviously what we're talking about with Tiger and Charlie is a much different much different scenario. But outside of that, you know, father-son tandems, that's a that's a good question. Maybe something for our viewers to to uh, to comment on when we post this podcast. Who are some great father-son tandems in the game of golf we're not thinking of? Or even in the comments, just post a picture of you and your dad on the golf course. I mean, the first time I ever golfed was with my dad and my grandfather, who's long deceased now. But 
even though it was awful, it was, it was an awesome moment. And there's, you know, so many people who love getting out there on the course with their dad. So Hunter, you got big shoes to fill, but, or, or just your parent, right? We got to say <laughs> yes. your parent. Yeah. A hundred percent, hundred percent. You got some good, your, your daughters are great athletes. Maybe they're going to be into that someday. So I hope, man, I keep trying to get them out on the golf course, but yeah, I got to get <laughs> off the basketball court first. <laughs> does, do, do, do either of the girls or Hunter, do they ever swing the clubs or anything? Yes, but they're, you know, in a playful way. I wouldn't okay. say that they're uh, real focused on playing the game of golf yet. But, you know, the game of golf sometimes triggers at different age points for people. I know whenever I really caught the bug, I was 13 years old. I, I really liked it 11, 12, and then I just caught it at 13. And, you know, sometimes kids are 10, 12. 18, sometimes you're not an adult, sometimes you're 50. That's the great thing about the game of golf. Well, it'll be very interesting to see this weekend at, the, at PNC. So, John, let's get into a little bit of business before we get back to some, some fun stuff. It's showtime! So let's get down to business. Golf Inc. is a great publication that we read quite frequently here. And they came out with an article about how technology saved the golf industry. I'm going to get into some tidbits and I know you have some perspective on the article, but they surveyed over 13,500 golf courses. I was shocked at some of these stats that stood out to me. 26% of public 18 hole golf courses are still not accepting online bookings. Over 1200 of those surveyed are courses that do not even have a website at the moment. Are these courses setting themselves up for failure in the future by not adapting to the times? I mean, it's a pretty remarkable stat. One in four public golf courses don't allow you to book a tee time online, you know, still today in our industry. So, I mean, I'll ask you as a consumer, if you wanted to play golf and there were three options and two of them had tee times you could book online and one didn't, they were all the same level golf course, would you pick up the phone and call the one that didn't have online bookings? No, I, I would avoid talking to people at all costs. That's and why Sheets has made to order food that's not even good that people buy. And it's one of those areas of our business, you know, where you think one in four are not offering that, which, you know, that's got to lag behind, you know, all other industries, you know, whether it's hotel industries or airline industries. So do I think if you're not offering online tea times, are you, are you headed for a pretty major adjustment in your revenue stream in the future? Absolutely. Which, but these clubs will adapt. A lady at my gym named Leah does custom, like she takes your favorite bottle of alcohol and makes it look pretty. And I just bought this as a birthday gift for a friend. So I know about this and she has a website. Mm -hmm. She set it up herself. She has no prior knowledge. I'm like, you, how do you not have one in this day and age? And not only that, but a, a website is really like your billboard beside a highway. I mean, that is what it is because the online world is the highway. It's it's where traffic is nowadays, you know. So 25 years ago when we were putting billboards on highways, you know, to promote our brand and business, that is what a website is. So it's essential. It's important. And, I mean, technology saving the golf industry, I don't know about that. I think the fact that it's a great game and it's a game that's around, there's a social element, there's a fitness element, there's an outdoor element, you know, to me those are the the key factors in why golf is a popular game but technology can be a bridge to more efficiency and obviously connecting with your customer and that is essential moving forward so technology officer at four up brandon bb attributes the lack of adaption to technology of some of these courses to a fear of onboarding and installation costs of adding the new technology he believes that owner operators are somewhat still in the dark about how quickly, efficiently, and cost-effectively courses can implement this technology. So he's saying he thinks that people are kind of afraid to put their toe in the water or afraid to just jump in when, in fact, it's nowhere near as hard as it used to be. Well, that is true. I also think there's definite component of our industry where people are just uncomfortable with 
technology. It's not their strength. That's not the reason they got into the to this business. You know, it was about teaching and playing and people and you know thinking about websites and automations and integrations and email marketing was never anything that they even remotely considered. So there's definitely a level of I'm just uncomfortable with that. So I'm not even going to explore it. You know where you can get a free audit. I. Oh, well, nice setup there. <laughs> we, we didn't talk about this before the show, we promise. We didn't, but if you go to <laughs> golfbacksolutions.com right now, or wait till the show's over, either one. If you're driving, just put your device down. But uh, if you go to golfbacksolutions.com, you can absolutely get a free audit. Now, what does that actually entail, just briefly? That entails our team taking a look at everything at the club level from a technology standpoint, point of sale, website, credit card transaction, merchant fees, and just assisting you with, here's where you are today, and here's some market options out there. And we put out all the market options, what we offer through Golfback, but also what point of sales companies offer, maybe some merchant processors you might want to speak to, website companies you might want to speak to, just to give you an idea where you are today as it relates to what you're paying and what you're getting. I think people will be shocked when they realize how easy it can actually be and affordable it can actually be to to bring yourself up to speed. So, John, with all the advances in technology, which you advocate for every episode, between those advances, courses are still short-staffed, COVID issues, et cetera. Is the golf industry as a whole potentially looking at a decrease in customer service or that personal touch? Can you replicate an intimate personal relationship with your member, your end user, and still adapt to these advances in technology? I think the answer to that is yes and no. And what I mean by that is yes, I think that the interpersonal connection uh, that you know the golf industry and hospitality was known for for years, that is going to change a little bit uh, from you know what customers may have been used to you know 20 years ago. But no, I don't think it'll impact it because I think the customer's mindset is changing. You know, self-service is the new quality service. And if you don't offer self-service options, the ability to quickly book tee times, maybe to even skip the golf shop counter to order food out on the golf course, to do these things that require technology, you know, scoring through mobile apps. If you don't offer that, then the customer is going to start viewing that experience at a lower level. And then all of a sudden, you know, that interpersonal connection, which we all harped on and we think is very important as part of our industry. If you don't adapt and offer some of the things that the modern customer wants to see, well, it doesn't matter what you do as far as interpersonal connections if you can't adapt and bring some technology to the experience. So we will link this article in the body of our on our uh, podcast site as well because it is a great article. Um, other than what I mentioned, did you have any major takeaways from the article itself? Just tech in the in the golf space, there's been a big change without a doubt. You know, the last three, four years, I'm seeing a lot of operators making those changes, making that adaptation and and providing a market solution that customers are looking for. There's a lot of different companies out there doing it. There's, you know, mobile app companies, there's website companies, there's point of sales companies, there's data marketing platforms like Golfback that can assist an owner. And I think it's just a matter of starting to experience some of these options as an owner and how is this impacting your experience for your customer, but also your business. At the end of the day, are you growing your database? Are you directly communicating to your customer? And how are you creating that self-service experience? Those are things to focus on. So when you're speaking at these conferences, because I know a lot of what you talk about is technologically based, when you or Bryce or Brent are there talking, are the people who are not necessarily up to speed on the technology, are are they receptive? Are they looking at you like you got two heads? Or are they just like, oh, uh, this is 
dangerous water. This is scary to me. Different strokes for different folks, you know, and, you know, I think that if an operator or owner has diagnosed that there's a, an issue, they feel like they're, they don't have access to all their data. They're not growing their, their database platform. They're not communicating with their customer. There's opportunities on their T-sheet. If, if they've diagnosed those issues, well, then the topics I'm speaking about are things that they become very interested very quickly. But if an owner operator feels like, hey, things are good, rounds are up, things, I'm making more money today than I did two years ago, you know, they're probably not looking to change what they're doing. However, I think that is a limitation because honestly, I think if anything, the fact that we've grown rounds the way we've grown kind of post-COVID is an opportunity for us. How do we maintain, you know, those relationships with those customers moving forward and keep them re-engaged, keep them feeling uh, that they keep them loyal to our brand, building that experience. If we aren't building the processes to take advantage of these additional rounds, then we're missing an opportunity. All right, John, if there were two things that you could tell a course owner operator to do in 2022 and moving forward, what would those two things be? Let's go low hanging fruit here. Two things that you can do that will impact your business immediately and return more profits. I won't talk about data or T-sheet management or all the other things that I usually talk about. I'll give you two kind of low hanging fruit. Number one, institute a credit card transaction fee, about two and a half percent. There's only a couple states out there that you cannot do that in. I think Massachusetts is one, Florida is one, but uh, most of the other states you can institute that. Work with your point of sale provider. Uh, it's a fee that customers understand and it promotes them using debit cards or cash or ACHs, and it's a way to evaporate and eliminate uh, those credit card transaction fees, which might be twenty-five dollars to $40,000 at a golf course in a year, any given year based off of revenues. That's number one. And then number two, if you have a cart fleet and it's under an operating lease, really look at buying your carts under a capital lease and buy gas cars. I know the price of gas is going up, but the residual value on the back end of a gas car is much higher. There is a market, a secondary market for selling gas cars. And if you buy under a capital lease, it just gives you a ton more flexibility at the back end of uh, your lease. So those would be the two things I would say. Institute, implement immediately. Ask me if I'm trying to kick knowledge. Nah, I'm trying to kick this shit you need to learn, though. CBS Sports has ranked the most meaningful players of 2021. We're going to list our top five. Just having a little fun here. I was pretty shocked by the list. Um, do you think you can name one or two guys who, who might have made the list? All men. Just no disrespect to ladies. This is just how CBS framed it. Meaningful. Meaningful I could mean won a big tournament, had a big moment. I can tell you right now, like if this list was done towards the end of the year, Tiger and his son playing would probably put Tiger on the list, but he's not on it. Okay. All right. So meaningful. Uh, let's see. I would I would have to say Phil Mickelson because he won the PGA and he was 50. Not on it. What? That is blasphemous. How oh. dare you? How dare you say such a thing? Yeah. I don't know if I agree with this list then. You know what? You just made the list. Yeah, so I'm just going to read them from <laughs> five to one because... That's I, amazing. Phil Mickelson. I mean, that was about one of the most meaningful moments in, in golf as far as I was concerned. So I'll, I'll list them quickly and then we can get your reaction. Okay. Number five, Hideki Matsuyama. Number four, Patrick Cantley. <laughs> number three, Jordan Spieth. Number two, Colin Morikawa. And number one, John Rahm. Number one. Oh, so, okay. no Brooks, no DeChambeau, no Lefty. No Dustin Johnson. Are you surprised by the list? Do you feel like there was anyone who should have been included? Or with all due respect to anyone who 
was listed, you feel like they probably shouldn't have been on there? Uh, Matsuyama definitely should be listed. Yes. Uh, you know, that was a game changer for the country of Japan and, you know, winning the Masters. So that makes sense. Who was number four? Uh, Patrick Cantley. I have no idea why Patrick Cantley's on the list. Patrick! I love Patrick Kaley as a player. He won multiple events. Uh, you know, he just doesn't seem like he should be on that list to me. But played great at the Ryder Cup. Nothing but respect for him. I'm always pulling for him, but doesn't make sense on the list. Spieth was number three, right? Number three. Yeah. I mean, uh, Jordan Spieth, maybe if this list was in 2018, you know, or 2017. But, you know, this year, you know, uh, Phil should definitely be ahead of Spieth and Cantley in, in my mind. Number two was Morikawa. Yeah. Morikawa makes sense to me. Morikawa is an up-and-coming star. If he would have won last week uh, at the Hero Challenge, which he had a five-shot lead, which he evaporated on Sunday, he would have been ranked the number one player of the world. So I think anytime you play to the level and drive yourself up to the number one player in the world, then, then yes, that list makes sense. And then John Rahm, I mean, won an amazing uh, tournament at Torrey Pines, made unbelievable putts. Uh, you know, would have won the event, Jack Nicholas's memorial event, if he didn't have COVID going into Sunday when he would have had a multiple-shot lead. So, uh, Rob makes sense. Bryce is going to be pissed that Daniel Berger wasn't on there. Just a burger, please. One burger! Yep, Daniel Berger, he's <laughs> not on there. The, Bryce and DeChambeau's not on there. No. Obviously, he was. He everybody talked about DeChambeau all year. So, um, yeah, it's a little bit of a surprising list. So, it, do they have any basis of why Spieth was on there? Um, I will read you, I'll read you an excerpt of what they say about, about Jordan Spieth and why he made it. Um, so they really, they're standing by this. Everyone would be fairly shocked that we included Spieth, but in his case, it's fairly airtight. He finished fourth in strokes, gained on the year, won the Texas Open, and legitimately mixed it up at both the Masters and Open Championship. He could have easily won either of those. Coulda, woulda, shoulda. That sounds like an excuse. Additionally, he accumulated the fifth most OWGR points behind Marikawa, Rom, Victor Hovland, and Sam Burns. Excellent. I totally disagree. I mean, he's won three majors, you know? So, we, yeah, he won the Texas Open. That's great, which is unbelievable. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, Spieth has won three majors. So, you know, the le the level of his apex is higher than what he did this year. So I, it just doesn't make sense why Phil isn't on there. 50-year-old wins a major? You know what I mean? Even if he did nothing else that, that year, you think that'd be meaningful. Not to mention, Phil should be on there just because I love his commentary. I can't yeah. wait till he's talking about golf and event. And, you know, he, he's got a lot going for him. He does. So, you know, not that anybody on the list isn't worthy, but just thought that'd be fun. So, John, to wrap it up, 2022 is on the horizon. It's the Christmas time. I don't know if you're in the Christmas spirit yet, uh, if you've just been so busy. But give me a few industry trends, some players to watch, and... Uh, what are the next? What's next for technology in the industry? Will it just continue to adapt slowly but surely? Industry, you gave me a lot there. Industry, yeah, that was that was like a bunch of questions all in one. So industry trends, I would say, you know, continuing to see the gamification of golf on our outdoor ranges. So the top tracer products, which bring the top golf experience to an outdoor range, I continue to see uh, golf course owners investing in. Uh, that technology and building out structures to support uh, that experience, including us. We're looking at it at two of our golf facilities right now, and I, I think that'll be a big part of revenue streams for course owners moving forward. That's one industry trend without a doubt. We'll continue to see more online tee times booked. It grows every single year as a percentage of tee times overall, and uh, that number will continue to grow in our industry. As far as uh, rounds, I continue to see rounds 
being quite a bit ahead of 19, but maybe not quite where 20 was. So probably matching 2021 and 2022, which I think is good for all of us. And, you know, we'll still have a third of the or a fourth of the golf courses or a third of the golf courses struggling to, to reach profitability, which has been pretty much the norm. And that's how I, that's what I see about the industry moving forward. What was your second question there? Uh, any players to watch that you think are going to make a major impact in 22 and beyond? You know, Sam Burns had a great year. Can he continue that moving forward? I think he's on the cusp of being considered sort of a perennial, you know, top 15, 20 player. Can he continue to take the steps that he took this year and get into that upper echelon? So I think he's one you want to keep your eyes on. Morikawa, is Morikawa going to turn into the number one player in the world, most dominant player? Uh, It'll be very interesting to see. I hope Matthew Wolf has a rebound. You know, Matthew Wolf competed in a few majors then he had a uh, you know some some bouts with uh, uh, some mental challenges of his own and, and he's come back and played well and I really want to see Matthew Wolf I think Matthew Wolf's swing and game is so interesting and uh, I'd love to see Matthew Wolf and then his teammate Victor Hovland who just won the hero challenge continuing to exert himself as potentially the best international player right behind Rom. and uh, you know there's just so much talent in the game of golf and uh, it's just so interesting to tune in Last thing I want to talk about, John, I'm actually surprised that you're here because you're on the road so often pounding the pavement and making things happen. But the majority of the Brown golf team is not here right now. Would you like to tell everybody where they are, what they're doing? Well, I came into the office on Monday and everybody's had their feet on their desk. So I fired the entire corporate. <laughs> off. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thank <laughs> God I'm not in the office Monday. <laughs> no, they uh, most of our team was down at a club outside of Wilmington, North Carolina called Carolina National, which is a great 27 hole golf course designed by Fred Couple signature design. And we are settling on that property uh, the 17th of December. Today is the 16th of December. So very excited about the addition of that. Uh, location into the Brown Golf portfolio. So our team's been down there transitioning. It's been a quiet week in the office here. I've gotten a lot of work done this week, so it's been great. I'm looking forward to heading down there next week, and uh, it's just a great asset to add to our portfolio, and and we look forward to bringing uh, what we do at Brown Golf to that club. Very excited about it. Congratulations are in order to the entire Brown Golf team and golf back team who work so hard. All right, John, so we're riding off into the sunset here, but we are in the Christmas spirit. Um, I don't think we'll talk to everybody until after the new year. So what do you want? What's on your Christmas list and what are you getting the kids? What are you getting Lauren? Ooh. Uh, so Lauren is getting a, a renovation to she the house. Won't listen, right? Yeah. She's getting a, <laughs> a renovation to our house right now, which is taking twice as long and costing 20% more than I planned. So we're, that is for our gift to each other. We've got a little bit of challenges there, you know, no flooring in the house right now. We're kind of working our way through that, but that's what, that's what we're giving to each other. But my wife does a phenomenal job picking out the Christmas presents, but I can't tell you because my kids are big listeners, believe it or not. So, you know, they obviously love you. So I, I can't tell you, but excited to go through the holidays here. What would I like? I would love to see rounds of golf continue to grow. And I know that's kind of a corny answer, but rounds of golf continue to grow. And then I'm looking for the next Carolina national, you know, we're very excited about that property and we're out there looking to buy properties. And I I would love to add two more in 2022, one in the the first, uh, you know, six month window and one in the second six month window. So. So, John, let's just be honest here because we talked, we touched on it last episode. How has your life changed since you made the top 25 most powerful people in golf list in golfing? So, I mean, come on. I saw a Porsche keychain sitting on your desk. Um, I also weirdly saw a Volvo and not a Porsche in the parking lot, but that 
could be beside the point. So are you flying private now? Or are, you, are you drinking champagne for breakfast? Well, what's been the lifestyle change? Faking it till I make it, Jordan. <laughs> you know, no, it's identical. We're working hard. We're working hard. Uh, looking forward to continue to assist uh, golf course owners and operators. I think there's a tremendous opportunity in our industry to take back, you know, a bunch of the real estate uh, in the online world as far as marketing and rounds of golf and barter tee times. And as we continue to do that, the industry is going to elevate and we're all going to benefit from it. And uh, I'm committed to that uh, thought process. I'm committed to communicating my message, even though sometimes, uh, you know, it falls on, you know, deaf ears in this industry because we're a slow moving industry. But, um, you know, we have 55 clubs on golf back in year one, uh, which is, which is a great number. We're adding our 22nd location within Brown golf, which brings us up to 28 and a half golf courses. And, uh, we're going to continue to grow. Well, John, greatly appreciate your time. We know you're busy. So to everyone who subscribes, you can listen to us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the major networks, of course, uh, browngolfmanagement.com and golfbacksolutions.com. We are right embedded in the website or uh, golfexposed.podbean.com. So grateful for everybody who listens and downloads every week. John, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Jordan.